0: Our passage this morning comes from the Gospel of St. John, chapter 10, uh, verses 11 through 18. Passage familiar to us, uh, but not one. Uh, this was given in his earthly ministry, uh, but as we will see, has great uh, significance for the right understanding of this day and of his resurrection. We will focus on the latter two verses, verses 17 and 18, uh, but we will read that uh, passage uh, from uh, verses 11 through 18. Before I read, let's go to the Lord in prayer that he would bless the reading and also the preaching of his word. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we come before you again this morning in the name of Christ. And we come beseeching you for your Holy Spirit. Now, Without your spirit, these words would fall upon hard hearts and be taken up by the devil and made useless. Without your spirit, these words would fall upon shallow hearts, and with joy we would receive it for the moment. But the trial and the challenges of this life would come and make it fruitless in our lives, and we would falter. Without your spirit, these words would fall upon the thorns of earthly desires and riches, And we would grow worldly, and we would try to make you one of many things that we desire. And we would not be as you have commended us uh, to have you as our chief and only God. We ask, Father, that your spirit would accompany these words that he inspired the Apostle Matthew to write, or excuse me, Matthew John to write, the Apostle that you would write these words upon our heart, that we might be infallibly instructed and taught, corrected and reproved. We might be thoroughly furnished for every good work in Jesus Christ, that this word might produce fruit a hundredfold, the fruits of repentance, the fruit of faith and trust in our Savior Jesus Christ and obedience to his will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here now the reading of the gospel from the gospel of St. John, chapter 10, verses 11 through 18. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth, because he is a hireling, and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay, down, I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord abides forever, and his people said, Amen. Here we have, in Jesus' words, Jesus proclaiming himself to be the good shepherd. And he doesn't do this out of pride or self-conceit, but because he truly is. That he is worthy of the name, because he will do that which the shepherd ought to do, which is lay down his life for the sheep. And we have in these words the moral beauty of our Savior's work. There is a tendency to look upon what Christ did upon the cross as great tragedy. That Christ was a victim of those that were his enemies. That if the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the scribes and the the elders of Zion had not taken offense at his gospel but had received them as the Christ. That if they had not handed him over to the Roman authorities, that Christ would not have died. That he would have entered into his glory without the pains and suffering and without the suffering of the cross. But this is a sin sick world. And it was impossible that that should happen. And it was not designed that it should happen. That Christ came to do what he did. This was not some Plan B because Plan A did not work out. Christ came into his own and he was rejected by his own because he was to be rejected by his own. He was the suffering servant that Isaiah foresaw and not only predicted, but explained to us that upon him were laid on our stripes that were due to us so that by his stripes we are healed, Isaiah 53. That we all know that Christ died, according to the scriptures, for our sin, to deliver us from sin. We don't all know it. The world doesn't all know it, but hopefully all of us gathered here this morning know it, or at least confess it. We all know that he is raised again for newness of life, That in his resurrection, we know the victory of his death, the victory over death, and the victory over sin. But we need to understand that this was his intent, and this was the eternal wisdom between the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, and that great mystery of Godhead and the eternal decrees that we only have a peek into in the gospel and the revelation of God's work. But we have here two things asserted, two important things asserted by Jesus Christ for us to know. And the first thing that he asserts is that his death and resurrection are peculiarly, I can't even say the word, peculiarly, especially prized by the Father. This we have in verse 17, therefore doth my Father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. It's said in the context of verse 15 as well. As as the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. The laying uh, down His life with the particular reference to the sheep that are lost. And it's an astounding thing to say. I mean, Jesus in the flesh. Jesus is the eternal Son of God. He is the second person of the Holy Trinity. God of God, uh, 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 light of light. Uh, what we say in the Nicene Creed, uh, what is uh, confessed biblically, that he is uh, perfectly and fully God. But we know also that in the fullness of time, he was born of the Virgin Mary and became fully and completely man. Uh, Not half God, half man, but totally God and totally man at one time. One person with two natures, man, created, God, uncreated, And we tend to think of the love that the Son has for the Father in reference of His Godhead and and how that He is the express image of the Father. And so the fullness of the Father's love rests upon the Son because He is the Father, God. But that's not what Jesus is here saying. As the mediator, As the one who is God and man, he is particularly loved by the Father because he lays down his life and takes it up again. His death and his resurrection are morally meritorious to the Father's justice. That what Christ does is do what we cannot do, is go over and above the demands of the law. Christ gives us that parable, that uh, as the householder goes home and his servants uh, make him a meal and he sits down before them, uh, he doesn't thank them for their meal because they're simply doing their job. And he tells us that when we have done all that we can do, we nevertheless say unto the Lord, we are unprofitable servants. The best that we have done is not quite what God demands of us as sinners. And even if we were not sinners, as his creation, we owe him everything. We can't give him more than it. Which was part of the argument against the late medieval practice of the works of supererogation by the saints in which they could... Uh, pile up extra righteousness that could be borrowed by other people if they invoke them uh, for our redemption. It takes away the work of Christ Jesus. What Christ says is that he has that merit that won him moral approbation, moral approval of the great eternal judge. That's important for us to realize that, that what Christ does upon the cross, he earns the blessing that he gives to you and I. It would be blasphemous to think so. But nevertheless, what the way Jesus is speaking here is if that doubt ever came up, that Christ is asking too much of the father. When he bestows his righteousness upon us that should be cast out of our minds because what Christ is saying, that the Father as a just judge has to be merciful to my people. Now we'll see in just a second that that's also not quite the picture that Jesus is painting. Uh, Christ didn't die to make the Father love us. God loved us from all eternity. That's why he sent Jesus Christ because with his justice, our sin stood in the way of, of rede- our redemption. So Christ comes that he will take away uh, the, the barriers of the Father's love to his sheep. But just in case we got the idea, because we are concentrating on, on the law of God, the beauty and the perfection of the law of God, and then remembering the imperfection of our own heart, if we got the notion that maybe that maybe enough hasn't been done, we need to hear what Jesus says. Therefore, doth my Father love me because I lay down my life for the sheep that I may take it up again. That this has standing with the great judge of the universe, the great Father, that this is something that God the Father prizes. We also learn that he enters this work willingly by his own power and by his own might, verse 18. No man taketh it from me, but I lay down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. This, this power, uh, even as, as mediator, even as man and God together, I, not just as God, have I to take it up again. Jesus was not victimized by the Old Testament church, the Jews of his day. He was not victimized by the Romans. He was not victimized uh, by the blasphemers that would call out, crucify him, crucify him, and have Barabbas the murderer released. Jesus had said in the early days of his ministry, uh, when he cleansed the temple the first time, uh, he had told the Jews, destroy this temple, and in three days will I raise it up, he spoke of the temple of his body when, therefore, he was risen from the dead. His disciples remembered that he had said these things and that they believed the scriptures and the word which Jesus had said. This was in the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verse 21 and 22. That, that Jesus came exactly to do this thing. That at the very start of his ministry, he was talking about laying down his life and taking it up again. So this wasn't, as I said earlier, a plan B. Strategy, And nor was he victimized by his father. The, it becomes popular in some circles of the church in, in, in order to shock the hearers. To, and sometimes with those that are opposed to the church and the gospel, it's funny how sometimes these two things kind of line up that this is an example of somewhat cosmic child abuse. That, that what happened was, if we really consider human institutions to be a grave injustice, this has to do with the fact that when we say uh, son, when we speak of Jesus as a child, and probably in our modern day when we tend to highlight Christmas, as a more important day than Easter so that we're perpetually thinking of Jesus Christ as a little child and therefore uh, as a child is helpless. We get this understanding that what Jesus was doing on the cross uh, was was inflicted upon him. In so doing, we misread his agony. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And forget that in three hours' time, he will commit his spirit to that very father and say, it is finished, and give up the ghost. That he was a man in his prime that knew exactly what he was doing and in from all eternity, when he, uh, as the son, agreed to take this, was very God of very God. This is an act of heroism. Here is um, the strong one who can endure what others cannot, and so he will endure for the sake of those who will not. This is what Jesus asserts in these two verses here. Therefore, doth my Father love me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down on myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. And he's not saying this out of hubris. He's saying this so we will understand that the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world did so with eyes wide open and that this was approved by God himself. Jesus' work of moral virtue, oh, excuse me, jesuss work as the mediator is the essence of moral virtue. Um, moral virtue is following the law. The law is that summarized at least by Christ, is that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our uh, strength, and with all our mind, and that we love our neighbor as ourselves. We saw a bit of that last week. Well, here we have Christ Jesus loving, loving sinners and also loving the Father. Uh, Loving God and loving his neighbor in the one and self-same act. The obvious one is that he loves sinners. He, who he makes his neighbor. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I am known of mine. And he gives his life for them. They can't help themselves, but he has the good, and so he gives himself for them. First John, chapter 3, 16 and 17. Hereby we know love. Christ laid down his life for sinners. And so, brethren, ought you to do for your brethren. But ye who have this world's good and see your brother have need and shut up the bowels of compassion against him. How does the love of God dwell in you? John very wisely looks at the big picture because all of us will say we'll die for our neighbor, trusting that we will never have to. And he goes to the little things. He says, you'll know you'll do the big thing if you're already doing the little things. Christ did the little things and the big things and does them still, interceding on behalf of sinners. He takes up his life again. That the victory that he won over death and over Satan, over sin, might be our victory. That his life is to be our life, as, as Paul writes in Colossians chapter three, uh, verses one through four. And if you have a, uh, uh, an extra ribbon, put it there. We'll come back to it. He says, if ye then be risen with Christ, because that's what it is to trust in him and to be born again by the spirit. Seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God And when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. That this is to be our life, our foreshadowing. As John says, again, in his first epistle, chapter 3, this time verse 2. My little children, we are the sons of God. It does not yet appear what we shall be. We don't look like sons of God in the world. We don't look like sons of the Most High. We don't look like the children of the great uh, architect of the universe. We look somewhat slovenly. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone that hath that faith purifies himself, even as our Lord is pure. So he loves sinners, but he also loves God with his whole heart, strength and mind. His sacrifice Is first and foremost an act of devotion and worship to God. This is why the Father loves the Son. This is why Jesus says the Father loves me because I lay down my life for the brethren. Because Jesus is seeking to his capacity to do good unto the Father. How is that? Well, he would not have the glory of his Father's justice compromised by his father's mercy. Jesus tells Nicodemus, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loved and therefore sought the good of those that were His enemies. But God cannot be just and purely God if He winks at sin. When we see a judge take a criminal that is a known criminal, rapist, murderer, whatever it may be, and release him into the public without any Consequences. We say that not only the crimes of the criminal, but also the laxness of the judge is complicit and unjust. And if God simply said, you are forgiven because you trusted me, we would say he was partial and unjust. But God punishes every sin. He punishes your sin and he punishes my sin. He's already done it. When Christ hung there and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was not forsaken for his own unrighteousness and sin. He had none. He was forsaken because he had declared, decided to be a new humanity. To be the second Adam. Adam to stand in a place of people who could not stand before the justice of God and take its full brunt. And he did so. He did so because he would not have the glory of his father's justice compromised by his father's mercy. So the psalmist David in Psalm eighty-five ten glories in God because in God and in God alone does justice and mercy kiss and come together. And they came together at the axis of all history upon the cross on Golgotha outside the gates of Jerusalem. This is the moral beauty of what Christ did that Good Friday but completed that first Easter morn. Our resurrected and ascended Lord is worthy of your devotion. The resurrection is the seal and the beauty of Christ's sacrifice. The Father himself must love and reward such worship from his Son. Therefore doth my Father love me. Paul, writing to speak of the self-sacrifice and humility required of the church in Philippians chapter 2, Verses 5 to 11, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be considered equal with God, but made himself with no reputation and took upon himself the form of man and suffered and died. Therefore, God hath highly exalted him that his name is above every name, that every knee shall bow, whether in heaven or in earth and even under the earth, that Christ might have all the glory. As we call it, we're call, called together this morning by the hymn that is, even in this day and age, sung by the cherubim and the seraphim and the saints and the church triumphant before us. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power, riches, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, and blessing. Blessing, honor, glory, and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. Why? because he was slain and hath redeemed us to God by his blood, and redeemed unto him every kindred, tongue, and people, and nation. He has made one uh, the flocks of Israel and the flocks of the Gentiles into the Israel of God, his church. And therefore, you and I ought to live lives of the resurrection. Turning back to Corinthians excuse me, not Corinthians, Colossians chapter 3. Verses 5 through 17. Mortify your members which are upon earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for the things for which sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in which also you walked sometime when you lived in them but now you also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not to one another, seeing that you have put off the old man and his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long long-suffering forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any. Even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing the With grace in your hearts to the Lord and whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. He is our life and we are to serve him in the small things as well as the great things. Because we know that while we live in a vain world that is passing away. In Christ, nothing is vain. Thanks be to God, 1 Corinthians 15, and 58, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. Paul writes that at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, the great chapter of the resurrection, first Christ's resurrection and then our resurrection in him. Therefore doth the Father love me, says Jesus Christ, because I lay down my life and I have taken it up again. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we come before you in the name of Jesus Christ. And we ask this day that you would, uh, that you would confirm your grace in us. If there be any here that do not trust in Jesus, as that perfect sacrifice, that one and only Uh, worthy Lamb, we ask that you would give them eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to behold their own sin and the glorious righteousness of Christ and his generous love in giving himself to us. We ask, Father, that in his grace we would give ourselves to you, that we would be united not only in his death, but also in the glory of his resurrection.